This morning. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, I heard that the real reason why the alarm went off is Scott was really on fire in the first service. So um, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, good morning again. Hey, this morning, uh, I, I want to take you back to my week this past week. I was um, on vacation up in Coeur d'Alene at this wonderful resort where my kids own property. And and uh, I was going to go work out one morning, and I, I went into this treadmill, and I looked at this treadmill, and I've never seen one like this before. I mean, it was high-tech. And so I got on it, and I, first of all, I couldn't figure out how to turn the dumb thing on, so I finally figured that out. And I got it running, and I realized uh, about a few seconds into the workout that it already was pre-programmed to all these different workouts. And so I'm cruising along, and all of a sudden, the thing goes up, and it starts speeding up. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, we got to stop this. So I try to put it manually again, and it would, I would go for a little bit a while, and then all of a sudden, it would drop down, and it would slow down, and then it would go up. And I'm thinking, oh, I was about ready to kill this machine. And I finally got through the workout, and I realized again that it's a computer, and it's got programs. And when you try to change the program, you're going to get into trouble. And that's what really we're talking about this morning, because there's a default in all of us, just like a computer. And, and we're already pre-programmed. And so I want to, first of all, give you a definition for default, because I think it's important for us to understand that today. To revert automatically to a pre-selected program. And we are obviously like that, because all of us were wired a certain way when we were growing up through our genetic pool or whether it was through our environment or whatever, we have all of these habits, addictions, biases, all those things are all kind of programmed into us. And consequently, it's easy when things change or life goes on that we always revert back, right, to our default. We go back to what we were comfortable with. Well, that was the problem with the church of Galatia. Paul had written this letter to them because they were reverting back to their old ways, and so he wrote this letter to try and get their attention to say, you know, come on, guys, where, where, what, are you, what are you doing? And so I want you to read about it with me in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, because you can see the frustration that's building in Paul's heart. It says this, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He goes on to say, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all of your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. If you remember, Paul had a, a thorn in the flesh, and most scholars believe that perhaps there was something that had to do with his eyes that was a problem. He said, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? What a flip job that they did on, on Paul. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, 
How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul was frustrated because the Galatians had gone back into default mode and as new Christians, they were going back into the law and adding something again to the very simple message of the gospel. So there's some principles I want to share with you this morning that I think that we can apply in our own lives as we look at this passage of scripture. So I want you to go back to verses 8 through 11. These weak and miserable principles that he was talking about. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? What were those weak and miserable principles? Well, see, the church of Galatia, they were all Gentiles, right? They were non-Jewish, and consequently, they were sort of soft targets, if you will. What I mean by that is that their history had been that they were always worshiping pagan gods. And to do that, to do a good job of worshiping pagan gods, you had to impress them. So you did everything you could to impress those pagan gods. And what Paul was saying to these guys is said, you've slipped back into that because the things that you're trying to do by observing these Jewish traditions and holidays and all the other pieces that would go through with what the Judaizers wanted them to believe, they bought into it because that's how they were programmed. That's what they knew. And so Paul was saying, look, Those are weak and miserable principles to add those things to the message of the gospel. And so the principle number one that I want to share with you this morning is this. We all have a tendency to default to our own efforts to win God's approval. See, that's what they were trying to do. They forgot that the message of grace was something that they didn't earn or deserve and they were unconditionally loved by God. And so they thought, well, we've got to appease God. We've got to win his approval. And so what that often does, it creates what I would call today modern performance-based Christianity. And then I thought, well, who are those people in today that would be a lot like the Galatians? Well, how about driven people? Do you think driven people have a problem with performance-based Christianity? People that are type A, that have got to go, go, go all the time. What about the perfectionistic person, the person who has their standards set so high that they're all about performance and their standards are so high they can't even accomplish it. And so they're busy trying to win God's approval by doing those things. How about people pleasers? People who who find themselves just worrying about what everybody else thinks to win their approval. So obviously that's going to translate into how God sees them as well. How about insecure people? People who are just afraid. People who, who have all these insecurities that are just worried all the time about what does God think of me? And so consequently we try to perform in order again to earn his approval. Or perhaps black and white people or legalistic people have a tendency to be that way where we look at things just one way or the other and there's no middle ground. So consequently we become become judgmental and performance-based, and we expect other people to expect the same thing. Well, now that I've probably included everybody in the room, let's move on, okay? (laughs) See, they've been programmed to performance, and so Paul says, look, I plead with you in verses 12 through 16, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I want to stop right there. See, what Paul was concerned about is these people had really totally lost their joy. That's principle number two. When we live out performance-based Christianity, we can lose our joy. My question to us this morning is, have you lost your joy? Have you lost your joy? 
You know, there have been numerous times in my own spiritual journey where I've lost my joy. And, and interestingly enough, one of the places where I lost my joy was in preaching. I remember years ago when uh, my church was very small and didn't have a staff and those kinds of things, I felt like I needed to preach every Sunday, come hell or high water. And so I would get up and I would preach every Sunday, 52 Sundays a year. And I got to a point where it was kind of like the lean, mean sermon machine, you know? I was just cranking it out, cranking it out. And during those periods of times, I would get really dry. I feel like I'm, I'm pushing through this. I'm, I'm performing. I, I've got to do this. And by, by and large, what I was doing, I was lost my joy in preparation. I lost my joy in passion and sharing. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things in our lives where we get into these ruts, you know, and our routines often become ruts. And we get to a point in our life where we just lose our joy. And these people were so performance-based that they forgot about the great love that Jesus Christ had for them and what he did for them. And instead of I want to, they got into I must or I have to. Have you ever found yourself in that mode? I have to, I have to, I must. And so we're more motivated out of guilt rather than out of the joy of really understanding who Jesus is and what he did for our lives. So they were programmed to this performance-based kind of thing. And that's how they lived before as they were pre-programmed as Gentiles. And now the Judaizers came along and they said, you know what, you need to do all these things and add this to, your, to the gospel in order for you to beat God's approval. Wrong, but that's nevertheless what Paul was concerned about with these folks. What are you motivated by? This is where I think the rubber meets the road with all of us this morning. Are you a believer this morning and are you walking in the light of the Holy Spirit where you're saying, I want to or I have to? There's a big difference. And a lot of us are get caught up in that. I'm thinking about the, the, the church at Ephesus. Um, if you remember, Paul uh, prayed a prayer in, Ephes- in, in Ephesians where he said, you know, I pray that you would understand and comprehend the height and width and depth of the love of Christ. But then you read about the Ephesians in Revelation and you find out that they had lost their first love. Oh, they were busy. They were an active church and they had all their theological ducks in a row. They even persevered under suffering. But... But they lost their first love. They lost their joy. They lost their passion. Are, are you in that stage of your spiritual life where you kind of feel like, yeah, it's really gotten dull and I lack passion anymore and I, I'm not, I don't find the joy in my walk with God? So which one are you? Are you and I have to or are you and I want to? Well, principle number three I want to share with you before I forget because I skipped right over it last hour. Principle number three is this. Those who are living out performance-based Christianity often become intolerant of those who are not. Look at verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that they may have zeal for them. There was this us and them kind of mentality. And see, what, what, what the Judaizers were doing to, to the Galatians is they were saying, look, you need to do it our way. And if you don't do it our way, it's not the right way. And so what happened was is it kind of alienated Paul from the Galatians. And now before, Paul was a hero, and now Paul was sort of this bum who was telling him the truth. Have you ever caught yourself doing that in your own life? You know, when I, when I was a pastor of, of a local church, um, it, it was always interesting to talk to the people who were the most committed. Because what they would do is they would say, 
How come so-and-so isn't committed? Why, why, didn't, why don't they show up to small group? I mean, they, they're, they're never, they seem to be so sporadic in small group. And, and children's workers, they were the worst. And I don't blame them. Sometimes they would say, come on, we can never get enough people to help with the kiddos. What's wrong with people? And pretty soon they would get intolerant and they start feeling like they were alienating them, each other from, from one another. And, and, and they lost their joy. I, I don't know about you, but have you kind of lost your joy and because you've been looking at other people and you realize that they're not as committed as you are? You see, the problem in our world today is that, unfortunately, the world revolves around us. And the Judaizers really made an appeal to the Galatians to remember that, look, it's all about you. When in reality, that's what our culture is saying about us too, isn't it? It's all about you. And so what really is discouraging to me is that the average person out there today, if you were to ask them, are you going to go to heaven when you die? What's their, what's their answer? I'm a good person. You know, I, I, do, I try to keep the golden rule or I try to do good things. I just had a conversation with an officer the other day with my ministry and he said, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm a good guy. I mean, I've tried to treat people fairly and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to just shout and say, do you realize how egotistical that is? You're telling me that if you do this, God's got to do that. Is that what you're saying? Is that it's all about you. If you can put together a lifestyle that is somewhat decent, God's got to accept me, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. See, our culture has really, really made us really a soft target because why? We were all programmed when we were born about us, right? It was about our ego. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He said, my ego, I got I to nail it every day because if my ego gets in the way and it's all about me, I've got problems. Everybody thinks they're the captain of their own soul. There's so many illustrations of that in our culture today. You know, there's this feel-good religion out there. You can name it and claim it. It's all about us. Cheap grace. It's all out there. Why? And does it work? Yeah, it works because why? It's appealing to how we've been programmed, and our default is always about me, right? It's always about us. So it sells out there, and our culture is doing a beautiful job of selling it to us in the church. I I call that cultural Christianity. I I want you to see why this, uh, it sells so well because it's so appealing to our ego. I want you to look at this chart with me this morning. If we talk about a healthy Christian who understands that it's Jesus plus nothing, here's his heart when it comes to conversion. There's a transformation of his head, heart, and hands. A true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, there's been a total metamorphosis, a born-again experience, we call it. So that healthy Christian understands where that transformation comes from. It's not about us. It's completely about Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Now, when it comes to the Bible, a healthy Christian takes very seriously the scriptures with a desire to obey all that is written in it. They believe that the Bible is all true and that everything the Bible is trying to say is that I need to be obedient to it. When it comes to sin, there's a a godly sorrow towards sin with a desire to repent. There's a a conviction in their heart. And when when there's there's a sin problem, they really find that godly sorrow and there's repentance. When it comes to themselves, they're totally dependent upon the Lord and His authority. 
They allow God to be in control of their life, not themselves. And then finally, when it comes to sharing their faith or evangelism, there is a greater sense of urgency because they realize that people out there are really truly headed for destruction. So that's, that's where most Christians need to be. Unfortunately, what's happened is, is that the cultural Christianity has gone to our preset programming in terms of our own ego. And here's what's happening in the church today, in my opinion. Cultural Christianity says that I may have confessed Christ as Savior at some time. You can talk to a lot of people out there today and said, yeah, I came forward or I, I, I accepted Christ back when I was at camp or this or that or the other. But in reality, they're putting all of their faith basically in that particular moment and you don't see any real evidence of their lives being totally changed. But in reality, they feel like, okay, my identity in Christ is safe. Um, so I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. And so therefore, the Bible, they say it's true, but it's absorbed through the filters of cultural influence. I'll give you a great example. I can't tell you how many couples today, Christian couples who confess, profess Christ, are living together and having premarital sex. And when it comes to that part of the Bible, they don't need that part. And I, my, own, my granddaughter said that to me the other day. She said, yeah, Dad, you, Grandpa, you know, all my friends, they just say, you know what, the Bible's antiquated when it comes to that part. And so they'll say they believe in the Bible, they'll say that it's true, but in reality, when it comes to whole truth or nothing but the truth, they pick and choose what they want to take. And that's what, our, that's what cultural Christianity, that's what the culture has done to us when we've allowed it to filter the scriptures to be filtered through that. Here's the, th- here's the third thing. For sin, they rationalize their sin. Why? Because they're using other people as their, as their role models and their examples. Not Jesus Christ. And we, we have a tendency to do that too. When you look at other people, you can find all kinds of hypocrisy and people doing things that are inconsistently. And so you, when you measure your own life by that standard, you can find all kinds of reasons and rationalizations for your behavior. But when we compare ourselves to only Jesus Christ, then we have to be, re- reflect on that and understand that there's really a need for repentance and a, a, a change needs to take place. However, this is where, we, where a lot of Christians are at today. They're using other people as their standard, and other people are always going to be disappointing and inconsistent. So I have a right to be inconsistent now, right? Wrong. Okay, here's when it comes to self, they rely on their own judgments. When push really comes to shove, it's not about who's controlling my life. I'm in control of my life. I'm going to make my own decisions. And when it comes to sharing their faith, they're reluctant to do that because they don't want to offend anybody. I mean, after all, aren't Christians intolerant and bigoted these days? Well, I don't want to be like that, so I'm not going to share my faith. So you have sort of a a double standard here, and what's happened here is that the uh, culture that we're living in has really appealed to our pre-programmed egos. So here's the fourth principle. Because all of us were born with a default condition called ego. That's why the culture is appealing to those of us who are Christians. You know, one of the problems that I think that exists, too, is that we've preached a lot over the last maybe 20, 25, 30 years in the church about our identity in Christ, and we've got to preach that. It's absolutely critical to understand who we are in Christ. But unfortunately, because of the years past of having so much more legalism put on us about holiness that it's almost like we become content with our identity. You know, I'm a blood blot, adopted son. I have my inheritance. I've got everything going for me. I'm a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm okay. We can't preach 
identity without preaching holiness. There has to be a balance. You hear what I'm saying? And, and I think it's really critical that we see all that balance. And you're going to see that. And Pastor Scott's going to move to that when you get into the end of Galatians. Because every time Paul writes a letter, if you notice, he spends the first part of his letters talking about your identity. And then what he does, he goes into a whole matter of holiness at the back half of, of his letters. Because Paul knew that he needed that balance. So sometimes I think we've, we've gotten ourselves into a false sense of security and contentment when we only focus on our identity. So Paul concludes in his, in his uh, little letter in verses 17 through 20. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I read that passage to myself this past week. And I said, is Jesus perplexed about me? That, that word perplexed, you know, it's like he's, I'm confused. I, I don't get it. What's up with you guys? Do you think Jesus might be saying that to you this morning? I'm perplexed. You say you're a Christian, but you're living a cultural type of performance-based Christianity, and I don't get it. You don't seem to have the joy. You, you seem to be intolerant of other people. Um, you know, something's wrong here. Well, now that I bummed you all out, let me ask you some questions, okay? Question number one is this. What task in your life has a tendency to be done with your own effort? You know, you know as a pastor over the years, I've preached sometimes two and three and even four services but you know, after you preach the first one, it's real easy to say, I got this. Like Pastor Scott talked about last week. And it's really, really critical. Something that I learned a long time ago was that God, if, if I don't stop in between services and, and reset and say, Lord, um, this is not a mechanical thing here. This is not robotic here. I don't got this. I need your support. I need your Holy Spirit to speak through me. It's real easy sometimes when we've done something well and we've done it over and over and over again, it almost can become fleshly. We need to be careful. So what is it in your life? Here's the second thing. Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your passion? And where, where did it go? What happened? What happened? Is it performance-based? You've just been failing miserably spiritually lately where there's some sin habits and addictions and things in your life that are just kind of keeping you down, keeping you from really finding the joy in your life. Do you find yourself ever complaining about other Christians who seem to be lazy and uncommitted? It's real easy for me to do that as a pastor, you know, and I, I think, gosh, you know, I bust my hump every week getting a sermon together and I'm trying so hard to see God work in people's lives and I see some people doing the same old thing and I get so, oh, what's wrong with them? God, they're so uncommitted. I, you ever get into that mode? I confess. Have you become a little intolerant lately? And then what relationships in your life do you struggle most with your ego? Is it your wife? 
your husband, your kids, work? Where do you struggle most by going back to how that default mechanism that's all about us and not about Jesus? So now that hopefully you're fully convicted like I am, how do we reset? How do we restart? Well, let me give you an idea that I think uh, Pastor Clovis gave me this week, and it was really fun to look at this, and I think he's right on. You remember the old control-alt-delete? Let's start with control. How do we reset? You know, my granddaughter has been struggling for about four years with a lack of joy and frustration, and, and when I was up in Coeur d'Alene, we were sitting over breakfast, and I said, you know, kids, you need to reset. This is a great opportunity for you right now to really reset your life. Some things are changing. God's doing some things in your life. Maybe it's time for you to get alone with God and just reset. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, if you press the control button, you need to, first of all, ask yourself this very simple question. Who is running my life? Who's running my life? Who's in control? You see, we're going to look at Galatians 5 down the, uh, pretty soon here, and he's going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. So who's running your life? Is it the Holy Spirit that's in control so that you're being producing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control? Who's running your life? And you need to be able to honestly ask that question and say, okay, press the control button. Who's in control right now? Secondly, when we press alt, we're looking at alternatives. And so this is something that I think is really important. When you want to reset, we need to consider new and fresh ways we can approach life situations that have been previously hindered by our old programming. Maybe I need to do life a little differently. Maybe I need to change here. What are the alternatives to my anger? What are the alternatives to my addiction? What are the alternatives to my bad habits? What are my alternatives to being always performance-based? What are some of the alternatives that I can look at and just take an honest look at what are some of the things that maybe need to change in my life? Thirdly, we may need to press the delete button. In other words, there may be some sinful patterns in our life that just simply need confessing and repenting. We need to get it, cut it off. You know, we talks about in the scripture about when your eye offends you, pluck it out. When your hand, arm defends, uh, offends you, cut it off. He's saying, listen, maybe it's time in your life that there are some things going on that just simply need to hit the delete button. And it, and it means confessing and repenting and being broken and turning from that behavior or that past or that program and get a new programming, get a new app, if you will. My goal this morning in this message to you is that if you need a restart, you need to, a reset, that I want to challenge you as you walk out of here this morning to think about where you're at. Have you lost your joy? Have you become intolerant? Have you just been slipping away in your spiritual life? And what are you going to do this week between you and God to get reset. And I don't know whether it's the control, alt, or delete, but whatever it is, I trust that you will get your joy back, that you will get your passion back for Jesus because it's all about him. Jesus plus nothing equals freedom, equals joy, equals patience, kindness, meekness, 
self-control, etc., etc. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I pray this morning that you've touched some hearts and minds. God, I pray for that person who may fall into that category of cultural Christianity. Lord, I pray that they would really discover once again the incredible gift of grace that you've given them. And that it would just so motivate them not because they have to, because they want to. Lord Jesus, I pray that for my life. That when I get up in the morning, it's not that I have to. It's I want to because you love me so much. And I just want to love you back. So God, for that person this morning who's maybe lost their joy, who's maybe become a little intolerant, I pray, Lord, that they would really rediscover the joy of their salvation. Rediscover how much they're loved and blessed and encouraged. And that they would be able to reset and restart and move on again. God, some days we all need a reboot. And I thank you that this morning might be another day where we're encouraged to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.